0: You take your copy of the Scriptures, let's turn together to Colossians chapter 1. We return to a new series we began last week in the book of Colossians. Last week we began our study here in Colossians. As we did so, we found that Paul had heard of the Colossian believers, and not only had he heard of them, he'd heard good news. You know how some people say... Uh, when you're introduced, oh, I've heard a lot of things about you, and you always think, oh boy, I hope they're good, right? Well, Paul had heard about the Colossian believers, and they were good things. And what he had learned of them caused him to give thanks to God. We saw that last week. He praised God for the things that they had been uh, learning and, and the ways that they had been growing and the evidence of their growth as a church and in their growth as a believers was what Paul said was their faith in Jesus Christ and their love for all the saints and their hope laid up for them in heaven. They were growing in their faith. They were growing in their faith in Christ and their love for one another and in the church, and, um, and it was a direct result of the hope that they had laid up for them in heaven by Jesus Christ. They were, as we say, bearing fruit, they were growing. The church must bear fruit. The church must grow. If, if we're going to be a church, the true church bears fruit. A true church grows. We ought to be concerned with bearing fruit. We ought to be concerned with growing. God's people must bear fruit and grow. Oh, that we would be a people whose faith, as the Colossian believers' faith showed, their faith and their love and their hope was obvious to the world, oh, that we would be a people whose faith and love and hope is obvious to the world that we live in. Paul knew that it was, it was critical for the church at Colossae to bear fruit and grow because they were in the midst of a culture that was constantly challenging everything that they believed about Jesus Christ. They were challenging, the culture that they lived in were, were challenging who Jesus was. It was a serious challenge to the church. And so Paul writes this letter to them. This, the, the, the book we call Colossians is a letter to the Colossian church to help address some of the things that they were facing. Paul heard of their faith, their love and hope, and, that, and he heard that they were growing, and that's a good thing. But he also heard of the challenges that they were facing, and he knew that they were just just getting started in the faith. This was a young church, a, a, a growing church. A new church. He knew that they were just getting started in the faith. He knew that if they weren't strengthened and growing in the areas where they were lacking, that they could easily be led astray into a false doctrine. There were false truths and false doctrines all over, all around them and surrounding them and challenged challenged their spiritual growth. And Paul knew this, and so he writes to them this letter. And we continue this morning studying what we began last week. He wanted them to be mature in Christ. We're going to see that later in verse 28 of chapter 1, where Paul states his purpose for warning them and for proclaiming and teaching Christ. That's what we do as a church. That's why we, we take this time in the middle of this service every Sunday to speak of God's truth. You need to be warned. You need to be taught. You need to be encouraged. I need to be warned. I need to be taught. I need to know the truth. We all do. As Christ followers, we need to be, as a church, we need to be proclaiming and teaching Christ. There's also some warning that needs to be done. So we need to be learning. We need to be warning. We need to be proclaiming and teaching Christ as a church and as a people. And Paul knew this need that the Colossian believers had. And so like I said in verse 28 Paul says his purpose for warning them and for proclaiming and teaching Christ is to help them grow to help them bear fruit. Every parent wants their child to grow up healthy, right? Every parent wants their child to be strong and 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 smart and ready for the world, able to handle things on their own when they when they leave home and go out on their own. Every parent who sees their child lacking in in a certain area, is going to do everything that they can to help that child grow and mature in that area. Every, I should say every good parent, right? Every good parent who sees their child lacking in a certain area is going to try to help them. Is going to, help to try to do things to help them grow and improve and grow stronger and healthier in the, that area of their life. That's also Paul's desire for the church and for God's people. That ought to be our desire for God's church and God's people. Paul wanted them to grow he wanted the Colossian believers to grow and be healthy and strong and ready to deal with life in their walk with Christ and to do so he reminded them of some areas in which they needed to be strengthened in some areas in which they needed to be growing he knew that they hadn't arrived yet now let me just tell you that we're we're on a we're on a uh, we're on a marathon as a church as a body of believers as followers of Christ we're in the midst of a marathon the Christian life is not a sprint we will arrive when we all get to heaven right we will arrive when, when Christ returns but until then we're all in process aren't we Paul knew that this church in Colossi, Colossae was in process See, but he, they were a young church and there were many things that they that they needed to be encouraged over that was Paul's desire for the church, for God's people. He wanted them to grow up. He wanted them to be healthy. He wanted them to be strong and ready to deal with the life that they were living in the face of adversity, in the face of opposition. So as we come to Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 this morning, we're going to look at verses 9 through 14. What we find here is Paul's wonderful prayer for the church. It's a beautiful prayer that he says he's been praying for the church at Colossae. And in this letter, and in this his, his prayer in this letter, he addresses areas in their lives for which he is praying for growth. So let's look at Paul's prayer for the Colossian church together. And as we do, I think we're going to learn something about how we should pray. I want you to learn with me this morning something about how we should pray as believers and as a church. And I think as we Look at Paul's prayer for the church. We're also going to see something about how we should be living and how they should have been living and how we should be living. So let's look together. Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. Follow along with me in your copy of the word as I read. Colossians 1, 9. And so, from the day we heard, Paul heard, they heard about their faith and love and hope. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, we come before You this morning, we gather together in Your midst, in Your presence to worship You, and we've been lifting our voices in song. And Lord, as we prepare our hearts now for this study, I pray that we would worship You through the study of Your Word, that our very lives would be lived for Your honor and Your glory. And Lord, I pray that as You enlighten us, as You teach us through Your Word, that we would take the truths that we find here and apply them to our own hearts and lives and that we would be growing in our obedience to you, growing in our walk with you, showing fruit as your followers. Father, I pray that you would take the words that I say and, and let the ones that are without any profit whatsoever fall away from our memories. But Lord, may we not forget your word. Lord, help us to know your truths. Speak to us through your powerful word by the work of the Holy Spirit in us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, don't you, that it's important for uh, God's people to pray? You know it's important for God's people to pray, don't you? Have you ever thought about how you should pray for one another? beyond uh, health concerns and prayers for the immediate needs that are obvious. Uh, you know, often, like we did this morning, we come together and we share prayer requests. We share about uh, maybe a physical need, maybe a health concern, maybe an immediate, immediate a financial need, something like that. And we're quick to pray about those things for one another. That's important. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But have you ever stopped to think about what else we ought to pray about for each other? There's a lot more we ought to be praying about for one another. Uh, we see it here in Paul's prayer for the Colossian church. Paul's prayer here helps us greatly in this area, and I want you to be challenged and encouraged at the same time to be prayer warriors for one another. Paul's prayer helps. Look uh, look with me again at verse 9 where we see... The beginning instruction, it's helpful for us to see here, how to pray for God's people. I want you to see here how to pray for God's people. And this too, how to pray for yourself. How to pray for God's people and how to, how to pray for yourself. Paul says in verse 9 that from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. I want you to note two things about their praying. He says they were, uh, they were praying from the day they heard and they have not ceased I summarize that by saying they were faithful in prayer. Their praying was faithful. Their praying was continual. It was without ceasing. It was faithful. From the day they heard of the Colossian believers and their faith and their love and their hope, they had not stopped praying for them. Now, lest we think that they had faith and love and hope and they had it all, they didn't need prayer. Think again, because Paul shows us in his prayer for them what they needed, and by, uh, by extension, we need, because this is God's word for us today as well. They were faithful in prayer for their brothers. They were faithful in prayers for their sisters in, in Christ. Paul likely had never met the Colossian believers, but he was still very burdened for them, and he was very faithful to pray for them. Now, let me remind you that there are many things that you may not be able to do. You don't need me to remind you that there are probably many things that you're not able to do. But you can pray. All right? I want you to know this. I want you to remember this. There are many things that you may not be able to do, but prayer is not one of them. Okay? We had better be praying as a church followers of Christ pray okay if you're a follower of Christ you are a prayer warrior you ought to be a prayer warrior if you're truly truly a follower of Christ you pray they were faithful in prayers for their brothers and sisters in Christ you may not be a Sunday school teacher but I'll tell you this you can pray you can pray for those who do teach and you can pray for their students right You may not be a missionary on a field of foreign service, but you can pray for a missionary who is. Can you not? You may not be called to be a pastor, but you can pray for your pastor. And I'll tell you what, I covet your prayers. I need them. You may not be a deacon, but you can pray for your deacons. They would be wise in the direction that they give to the church. That they would be guarded in their life. Yes, pray that for one another. You may not be able to get out and visit those who are ill in need of an encouragement, in need of a visit, but you can pray for them. This is not an excuse not to do things, All right, not to be involved, not to serve, but I'm telling you there are some things you can't do, right? But prayer is not one of them. Let me tell you something I know you can't do. You can't save your neighbor. But you can witness to them and you can pray for them, right? You can pray for God's revealing work in their hearts and minds. You may see an immediate need that someone has, and you may have absolutely no means with which to help meet that need, but you can pray, and you must. You may not be able to join us for our midweek prayer times, but that does not mean that you shouldn't be praying. We can all pray. And that is something we can all do. And it's something we all should do. Paul was not with the believers at Colossae. He was not with them. He couldn't go and visit them at that time. But that did not keep him from praying for them. He prayed for them continually. I would suggest that he can, he prayed for them daily, not that he prayed for them constantly all day long, but he prayed for them faithfully daily, without fail. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I say this: that believers pray. All right, believers pray. If you're a follower of Christ, you pray, and you pray, you pray for one another. We need to pray for one another. Be faithful in prayer for each other continually, daily. Do not underestimate the great value of prayer for God's people. There may be many things that you aren't physically able to do for one another, but prayer is the exception. We can all pray. If we're going to be a church that pleases God, I'm convinced that we must be a praying church. You might come to me and say, how can I help the church grow? My first answer is going to be pray for the church. Pray for God's people, to be God's people, to be obedient to his word. Pray. That's the first and most important thing that you can do for God's work here. Now, I want you to note the second thing about Paul's prayer for them. They were faithful to pray for God's people. They were also united in prayer. They were united in prayer. Their prayer was united. They were in agreement when it came to praying for the Colossian believers. Paul was not alone in his praying. He says here in verse 9 that from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now, as Paul introduced himself in verse 1, he also introduced Timothy. So. We can assume that Paul is talking about the united prayers of he and Timothy. Since the day we heard of you, we have not ceased, we have not stopped praying for you. I want you to think about their praying and and remember that their praying needed to be united for the Colossian believers. Their praying was united. They were in agreement in their praying. It's a good thing to pray. It's a very good thing to pray. It's important that we each devote time to prayer as individuals. It's even better when we pray together. And it's even better when we pray in agreement. All right. When we're united. Now, we may not be together, but we can still be united in prayer when we pray. It's a good thing to be united in prayer. It's a thing that God blesses. It's a good thing to pray alone. Don't get me wrong, but it's a good thing to be united in prayer. It's a good thing to pray together as well. There's great blessing in praying together. In Matthew 18, verse 19, we find this. Jesus says, Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by My Father in heaven. Now there's a special blessing that's indicated, that's in store here for the church that comes to God united in prayer. And the only way to be united in prayer is to be unified as the body of Christ. If you go to Matthew 18, you find that there's some instruction there about dealing with those who, uh, who might be uh, having a problem, all right? Maybe in the church, maybe those who are straying from the Lord. And in, in this later passage, in this later verse, in verse 19, it says, And again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth, About anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. There's this special blessing in store for the church that's united, that's unified, that's together, and especially together in their praying, in agreement in their praying. God gives a special promise to answer our prayers when the church prays in agreement. But where there is discord and where there is disunity and disharmony, the church In the church, there there is not going to be unity in prayer, all right? I can guarantee you that. If there's discord among God's people and disunity, there's not going to be unity in prayer. So God says in his word that when we agree in prayer, he answers. I'm reminded of the admonition for husbands here. Husbands are admonished in 1 Peter 3, 7 to live in harmony with their wives, okay, First Peter 3.7 7 says to the husband, live in harmony with your wife. Why? Because if you don't, God will not hear your praying. So there's an indicator to me that, of the importance of unity as we pray. It's a reminder to us about the unity under Christ that must exist in our relationships with other believers if we're to be in agreement in our praying. Now, we may not always see everything eye to eye, Right? But we need to come together and to be unified in our praying. We need to come together and be in agreement over our our prayer requests and our prayer concerns. And God blesses the faithful, unified praying of his church. Now, we move into the content of their praying from here, the subject of their praying. And the subject of their prayers really addresses the the how-to-live aspect of the church and the believer. How to live. I told you that we're going to learn something about how to pray for one another, how to pray for ourselves. Or we're going to learn something about how to live. The subject of their praying was for spiritual knowledge. And you might say, well, what does spiritual knowledge have to do with the way I live? And I would say everything. Everything. All right. Spiritual knowledge should lead to righteous living. OK, we don't just get head knowledge so we can go, OK, I feel better for the day. I'll go home now. And come back next week, and I'll do whatever I want the rest of the week. Spiritual knowledge should, to lead this, to righteous living, Paul says, they prayed asking, verse 9, that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And I want you to note that their prayer for the believers was that they, that they would have just a little bit. They didn't need much. They just needed a little, Right? Are you even looking at the verse, right? <laughs> it says, right? In verse 9, he says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What happens when something's full? Is there any room for anything else? No, right? This is, the, this is what Paul is praying for, that the believers would have no room for the godless rumors that were going around. No room for the falsehoods about Jesus Christ that were going around. They need to be filled with 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 a knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. They had some knowledge that's that 's evident okay They had some spiritual wisdom they knew Christ as Lord and Savior. They had a hope laid up for them in heaven. We see it in verse five. They knew the gospel, the good news, but they would be. Let me tell you that they would be malnourished, they would be underinformed, they would be incomplete spiritually had they been satisfied with only that basic knowledge, with that only that basic introduction to the gospel. You see, it only takes a little bit of understanding, under a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of information for us to realize that we're sinners, that we are completely sinful in need of a righteous and holy God to save us from our sin. It only takes a little bit for us to know about Jesus Christ and the work that he did on, on the cross. And that's enough to get us started, right? But that's not enough to keep us faithful to the Lord and keep us growing and spiritually producing spiritual and Christ-honoring fruit. The other day, Carolyn was pointing at letters in the alphabet with Josiah. He's he's four. Um, I don't know. I'm not... a a teacher, and I don't pay attention to these things, but I thought that was pretty good that she's pointing to the letters and he's saying what they are. So I'm impressed. I'm thinking, wow, four-year-old, that's great. And I said to her, I think that's good enough. You're done. I mean, you know, that's good. He doesn't need to know anymore. He's got his alphabet, right? And you're saying you're a fool because he needs more than just the alphabet, and I didn't say that because I'm just a little bit smarter than that. If Carolyn stopped teaching him with only his recognition of the alphabet, he wouldn't learn how to read, would he? Not any time soon, anyway. He's just got the basics, the very minimal basics. He's just starting to recognize the letters in the alphabet, and he's deficient in knowledge for reading ability, so we expect for him to have that next week. He'll be reading next week. (laughs) Maybe next year. The other day... the other day we were sitting there watching him and I was thinking, you know, that's good, that's great. But don't stop there. That's just the beginning, right? And so it is with the believer. A basic knowledge of your sinfulness and the love of Christ demonstrated on the cross for your sins. A basic understanding of that is where you start, right? But it's not where you finish. It's only the beginning. The Colossian believers needed, and you and I need, and Paul prayed for this, He prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. You want to know what you should pray for, for your fellow believers? It's right here in Colossians chapter 1. This is our most basic of needs as believers. We need to be filled with the knowledge of his will. There, There should be no room for the world's rubbish, okay? There should be no room for the mistruths that float around in this world that we live in. Even the most spiritually mature, and let me warn you here, because you might have been in church for a long, long time, and I won't ask how long, but some of you have probably been believers longer than I've been alive, all right? But let me warn you that even the most mature believer, even the most spiritually mature believer among us has an incomplete knowledge of God's will. Because you're still here. And as long as you're still here, you haven't arrived yet, right? You You haven't topped off your spiritual tank just yet. There will always be room for growth in our lives. There will always be room for spiritual growth in our lives. So this filling is like an ongoing process, but that didn't stop Paul from praying that they would be filled. And if you want to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you want to pray for me, Pray that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will. And I want you to note why this is so important, that they prayed this for the believers and that we pray for this for one another. Here's why this is so important. We pray for the filling of the knowledge of his will because this kind of knowledge only comes through spiritual wisdom and understanding. If there was a book that I could go check out from the library to be filled with the knowledge of his will, we wouldn't need to pray about it, would we? Hurry up and check the book out and read it. But that's not how it's attained, is it? There is a book that we ought to be reading, mind you. All right, There is a word that we ought to be hiding in our hearts, and that's, and that's how it begins. But even that isn't enough. Okay, We pray for the filling of the knowledge of His will because this kind of knowledge only comes through the spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. And that is something that we cannot create ourselves. This kind of knowledge is only revealed by God the Holy Spirit into the heart, into the mind of a believer through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the revealing and enlightening work of the Holy Spirit, into the hearts and minds of those who diligently seek his wisdom, into the hearts and minds of those who are yielded before God, to be taught and to be enlightened by God's spiritual wisdom. We're reminded by James 1.5 that, and I'll tell you what, for me, I take great hope in James 1.5 because I was joking with my my kids the other day. We were talking about their schoolwork and stuff and how poorly I used to do in school. Um, I'm not the brightest crayon in the box, okay? I'm not the brightest light bulb in the pack. So when I come to a verse like James 1.5, and it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, Right? who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. This is where I camp, okay? And I pray, God, give me wisdom, please. Enlighten my heart. Show me your truth. Help me understand your word. Help me to live your word. Help me to teach your truth. James five is a great encouragement to me, and I hope it is to you too, because when you ask for God's wisdom, he's good to give it to you. And so we pray, don't we? You want to know what to pray for one another? Pray for the filling of the knowledge of God's will. And pray for it. Because it's spiritual wisdom. It's spiritual understanding. You need to pray for it because you need to unleash the Holy Spirit in the lives of others and in your own heart and life to understand God's truths. And so we pray. Pray this for your fellow believers. Pray this for your pastor. Pray this for yourself. Look around the room this morning before you leave and look at the faces of people that you should be praying for. For the filling of all spiritual knowledge, filling of the knowledge of His will. And verse 10 goes on to describe why this prayer is so important. Verse 10 goes on to describe why this prayer is so important. Look at verse 10 again. So as to walk. He says, here's why you need need to be filled with the knowledge of His will. Because you need to walk in a certain way. So as to walk, verse 10, in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I noted this earlier. Spiritual knowledge should lead to righteous living. All right? Spiritual wisdom ought to lead to righteous living. Knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding will influence the way the believer lives. It's the way one lives their life that it's referring to in the text here when it mentions walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And I just asked the question, and what is it that's fully pleasing to God? Okay, you want to be pleasing to God, what is it that's pleasing to God? Look at verse 10 for two things. Absolutely. Bearing fruit, first of all, bearing fruit in every good work is pleasing to the Lord, okay? If you are God's child, you will obey him and the fruit of your obedience will lead you to good works. Good works do not lead you to salvation. Okay, it's the other way, other way around. Salvation leads you to good works. Bearing fruit in every good work is pleasing to the Lord. The other thing we see here is that what's pleasing to God is that increasing in the knowledge of God. So you could say, well, I'm just going to serve, all right? Forget the book. I don't have time for reading and, and studying God's Word and, and asking for God's wisdom. I'm just going to get out there and get things done for Jesus, all right? And you're only halfway there. Because the other thing that's pleasing to God is increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul mentioned this earlier, that he was praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, right? Back in verse 9. and why did he mention the knowledge of God again? Because it's important, Right? things I want my children to remember, I say over and over, and you you get the idea, right? My kids would say, yeah, we get the idea. But Paul says it again because it's important. Kent Hughes notes that Paul's mentioning the knowledge of God again as he prays for their conduct. He does so because, Kent Hughes says, because Paul saw the dynamic connection between action and knowledge. He knew that as they continued bearing fruit in every good work, they would naturally open themselves to growing in the knowledge of God. One begets the other in a delectable upward spiral. The more one truly serves him, the more one opens to knowledge of him. The more one knows him, the more one wants to serve. So it goes onward and upward. Jesus himself made it clear that doing the Father's will makes possible the reception of of knowledge of the Son. This mutual cause and effect relationship between knowing and doing is one of the fundamental laws of spiritual growth. You see, these two spiritual disciplines, serving God, good works for God's glory, and knowing more and more of God, they go together, they're hand in hand, living for God's pleasure, for God's glory, doing all to the glory of God. This is That's bearing fruit in every good work. And that will promote in you the desire for increased knowledge of God. And your increased knowledge of God revealed to you by the Holy Spirit at work in you is going to lead to the bearing of increased fruit in every good work. And so it goes on and on. More knowledge, more fruit, more fruit, more desire for knowledge, more knowledge, more fruit, right? So one encourages and promotes the other. Increased knowledge of God and His will should lead to increased obedience. Should. Alright? You feed, you feed on God's truths. And you fill your heart and mind with the truths of God. And they ought to start affecting how you live. That's why Paul's prayer for them was so important. And why that, why that prayer that we pray for one another, this prayer is so important. Physical needs, they're important. The here and now. Spiritual needs, they're for eternity, okay? Paul Paul knows that this is impossible, though, by by the sheer willpower alone, okay, of the, of the individual. You might be hearing this and thinking, oh, great, you know, I, I, I do have a strong desire to know God's word. I just have a hard time getting myself to go do it. Or I have a hard time making it work for me. Paul knows that this is impossible by sheer willpower alone, so he continues in verse 11. Look at it again. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. You see, they needed and we need the strength of the Lord if we're to accomplish any of this. These spiritual disciplines are not possible in the flesh. So Paul prayed for them that they would be strengthened according to God's glorious might. I don't know about you, but I'd like to live by God's glorious might. And I wish you you would pray that I would be able to live by God's glorious might. And I want to pray for you that you would live by God's glorious might because in us, in human nature, is not the power to do the right thing. Is not the power to seek God's knowledge and wisdom is not the power to do good works for God's glory. It's in our power to do good works for our own glory. So Paul prayed for them that they would be strengthened according to God's glorious might. He knew they needed God's strength to practice what they'd learned. And I know you need God's strength to practice what you learn. And you know I do. And so we must pray for one another. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. In Ephesians 6.10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. You ever feel like a weakling? I do. You ever feel like a sinning weakling? I often do. You know why? I hate to break it to you, but you are. Because it's God's power and strength by which we live. It's God's power and strength by which we grow. It's God's power and strength by which we are enlightened to the truth of God's word. And it was God's power and strength back when we came to Christ that drew us to himself. What a beautiful pattern of prayer for one another we're seeing here. In Paul's example for the believers at Colossae, remember that you are not alone in your walk with Christ. A sentence kind of clears it up, doesn't it? You're not alone in your walk with Christ. You need to pray for each other. And you need to pray this for yourselves as well. Pray for one another to be strengthened in, in your own faith by God's power. Because you have God at work in you. The follower of Christ has the Holy Spirit at work in them. So you are not walking alone in your walk with Christ. And I say take great hope in knowing that the, that the outcome of being strengthened with, with all power, according to his glorious might, is that you will be equipped. You will be e- equipped and prepared and ready for, as we see in verse 11, for all endurance and patience with joy. That's what Paul wanted for the church at Colossae. That's what I want for you. That you would be equipped ready for all endurance and patience with joy. Oh, how the church needs all three, too. Oh, how every believer needs all three. Because, you know what, I say you need all three because we could just get by. We could just endure. We've done that, haven't we? There are times when things come and, and barrage us, and we have a major problem. We just go, oh, I'm going to get through this, and I'm going to get it over with, whether I like it or not. And you plow through it. But you don't do it with patience, and you don't do it with joy. Or you have, you have a problem at work, and you're facing a difficult coworker, and you don't deal with the problem with patience and joy. You just endure. By the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you, you can endure with patience and joy. Oh, how the church needs all three, how the believer needs all three, because you can endure without patience and joy, but that does not give God any glory, does it? It's just enduring doesn't glorify God. It actually robs him of his glory to just endure. Endure. We could just get by and endure as a church without patience and without joy, but will not be the church that pleases God. We need to do it with joy, and with patience. And you're saying how? How? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's look. Paul prayed that they would have endurance with patience and joy because they needed it, and that would bring glory to God. And that prayer is prefaced by the one uh, by, by the one for. This prayer for strength with all power according to His glorious might. You knew I was going back there, right? How can we face our difficulties and challenges and difficult people with endurance and patience and joy? With the power of the might of God. Amen? It must begin as we pray for one another, for God's might, for God's wisdom, for God's strength. Paul prayed that they would have endurance with patience and joy because they needed it. And he knew they could do it with God's might, with God's strength. Shall Amen. Paul knew that they would face difficulty. Paul knew that they would face hardship. Paul knew that they were, they were in the midst of a difficult surroundings. But he also knew that there was much strength available from God to them. And there was was much to be joyful about. And so he prays for their endurance and patience with joy. You see, God's people have so much to be joyful about. And the evidence of of joy is gratitude, right? If you're joyful, you're going to be grateful. If you're grateful, you're going to be thankful. Thankful. The evidence of joy is gratitude and thankfulness. So Paul notes in verse 12 that the overflow of their joy should result in their thankfulness. And what do they have to give thanks for? And what do we have as followers of Christ to give thanks for? The list begins in verse 12, just in case you're wondering. If you ever want to come back to verse 12 and pray, here's a great list to thank God for. Paul says he's been praying with thankfulness and praying that they would be thankful. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has qualified you. If you're a follower of Christ, He qualified you. You didn't qualify yourself, okay? And for that, God gets the thanks. And for that, God gets the praise and the glory. God alone deserves the praise, God alone gets the glory for delivering his children from darkness to light. God gets that glory. Nothing that we have done or ever can do qualifies us for the inheritance of the saints of light. And verses 13 and 14 go even further in reminding them and us of what they and us should be thankful for. We should be thankful for these things. Verse 13. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. It's like He came in and swooped in and just gathered us all up and transplanted us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom, verse 14, we have redemption. What's redemption? The forgiveness, it says, of sins. It's because of Jesus Christ that we can be thankful. It's because of Jesus Christ that we can be joyful, in the, even in the midst of hardship. Not joyful for the hardship, mind you. I'm not suggesting that you go, oh, thank you, Lord, for this broken leg. All right, But Father, I know you want me to grow spiritually through this. So I face this challenge with joy, knowing that you're going to show me what I need to know. And you're going to help me and you're going to strengthen me and you're going to help my leg heal. It's because of Jesus Christ and only Christ that we are qualified for the inheritance of eternal life. Be thankful. Only the Father through the Son has delivered the Colossian believers. Only the Father through the Son has delivered us. Be thankful. Be thankful. And He's delivered us from the dominion of darkness and He's transferred us. He's transplanted us. He's swooped us up in His arms. He's taken us from the dominion of darkness and He's put us into God's kingdom. Be thankful. Amen? What a wonderful lesson we have from Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae and what it it is that we should be praying for one another. This is helpful, isn't it? I, I find this very helpful in knowing how to pray for you. I find this very helpful in telling you how to pray for one another. And we need to come back here often and be reminded about what God says we ought to be praying about for each other. And the kinds of things that are ultimately important, yes, pray for those who are ill, pray for those who are in serious need right now, but pray for their spiritual needs as well. We learn how to pray, and we learn what our lives ought to look like, what the results of our praying ought to be, as God does His work in His people and for those who are following Christ will obey right and will be strengthened by the power of his might and will endure with patience joyfully giving thanks as the beneficiaries the benefactors of God's goodness and grace and mercy let's pray our precious heavenly father we do come before you this morning And I do pray that our hearts would be filled with gratitude and thankfulness for your goodness and your grace and your mercy toward us. And so from this day, we we pray. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to not cease praying for one another, asking that we might be filled with the knowledge of your will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, Father, that we might walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing day by day in the knowledge of God. Please help us so that we will be strengthened in the knowledge of God. That we would be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might. For all endurance, Lord, help us to endure Lord, help us to be patient and help us to do so with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Father, we're so thankful that you've delivered us through Jesus Christ from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, your beloved son, Jesus Christ. Because it's in him we have redemption. It's because of Jesus Christ we're forgiven our sins and for that Lord we thank you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.